Hi, my name is Kamran Bukhari, and welcome to another episode of the Center for Global Policies podcast series called The Lodestar. This particular episode is being organized in conjunction with, in collaboration with, the Near East South Asia Center for Strategic Studies at the National Defense University. And our guest today is Professor Hassan Abbas, who's a distinguished professor at NISA, and he's also one of our senior fellows at CGP. Welcome, Hassan. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time out. And uh, basically, uh, we're, you know, I'd like to tell my listeners that this particular podcast will revolve around your latest piece for the Center for Global Policies Navigator. It was on the recent deal between the United States and the Afghan Taliban. And you make a, a very strong argument that the next phase of this deal, which is supposed to be the intra Afghan dialogue between the Taliban and their opponents, both in government and outside of government, uh, cannot take place unless regional players, the states that have stake in Afghanistan, in the region, are involved and they should have a confab and they should come to an understanding. So I'd like to give it over to you and, you know, let our readers know what is it that you were basically arguing? Thank you very much, Kamran, for this opportunity. Um, indeed, the main idea in this piece that I wrote and my, my argument is um, that we have seen many efforts in the last few years between United States and Kabul, also done from, from the NATO side, from the regional other players as well. But those were all either bilateral in focus or trying to keep some stakeholders out of the main arrangement. And that's why what was lacking was that all the regional players, and we know who those are, Pakistan, India, Iran, China, Russia, and they, they all had their interests, but they felt that they have been kept outside uh, the, the conversation and the negotiation table. So they, uh, and they had over the years, developed their own links, not only um, as, as in terms of proxy, but in terms of their alliances, their investments. And they all felt that at one time or the other, that they were kept out, out of the loop. And that allowed them, or that kind of uh, created an opportunity for them um, to, to try to poke their nose um, in, in this, try to at times uh, push back, focus more on, on pushing their own, not only agendas, but their own allies within the broader Afghan system and even within the Taliban. There is no more one Taliban now, as we know. So my argument is, in, in brief, that unless everyone is on the table, a chances of a comprehensive and sustainable peace deal is very difficult to achieve. Kabul will try to tell us they are an elected government, they are a representative government, and they should be the ones who, who should uh, call the shots. They're right, but this this would have been the case if this was a coherent um, government with its own revenue, with its own complete sovereignty, and its own control and command system across Afghanistan. That, unfortunately, is not the case. Taliban, whether we like them or not, are a force to be reckoned with. Um, they have established their control, whether through violence or direct control, or in some areas, their own small courts. Um, they, they were able to push back against um, uh, the NATO forces, the U.S. forces. They, this, this constant flux that we have seen in Afghanistan convinces me uh, that, um, that 
unless everyone relevant um everyone with that stake is is on board we will continue to see uh, this instability chaos violence and disconnect so hasan thank you for for that introduction uh and and sort of summary of what your piece now i was listening to you and and what came to my mind is that there is already this perception in the region particularly within iran within india and perhaps even with russia that pakistan is already heavily involved in this process because the united states leaned heavily on islamabad to get these negotiations going and you know i won't go into the details of what happened ever since special representative zalmay khalilzad was appointed and took over this task to conclude this deal with the taliban but there is that uh, sense uh, and it's and, and it's fair if you think about it because pakistan is already uh, playing in this uh, if you will arena and has a head start so how can we have the other actors come to the table when when you know pakistan already has a lead if you will it's a excellent point and i would briefly mention three or four major points providing the the context and then then um, a, a kind of a hint at a new reality which is there first and foremost there is i think no doubt about it in anyone's mind that pakistan was a, not only a patron of afghan taliban but they had provided them a, a sanctuary in the pakistan afghanistan tribal belt um, we know about the quetta shura where some of the top leaders had, had stayed there pakistan was one of the only uh, countries one or two countries who who had supported uh, or not taliban through diplomatic um, channels as well and recognition as well so there is there's no two views about that part of history but that is up till 2001 um, many people f- forget that in 2001 the taliban leadership uh, was very annoyed at pakistan to to have sided with the us uh, even though they never went in their own planes or they have never moved their own armored vehicles inside afghanistan but uh, the taliban leadership had lost so many people many of them were killed and everyone knew like the way pakistan had handed over mullah zaif uh, to to uh, uh, to the us forces so in 2001 there was a shock for this new this old relationship the taliban were never happy with what pakistan had done to them that that to, after that the relationship started changing pakistan i think continued supporting taliban some of gave rest houses or fam, their families scholarships stipends support in peshawar or in quetta the relationship continued but it was not the same as it was before 2001 then the relationship continued to develop in in different directions for instance there was this uh, we know that the uh, narcotics uh, money started it became a, a big issue the reason being that a lot of money that afghan taliban were generating were through this uh, the drug smuggling and drug dealing and there's a whole econ- economy of 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 this drug dealing that that exists in afghanistan that nobody from outside can manage or maneuver or manipulate that is a if you have a direct funding source that enables you you start becoming more independent then the, the organized crime in afghanistan has its own foundation and its own dynamic which neither pakistan nor india nobody else can impact that that organized crime also was hand in gloves with taliban 
The third important factor uh, in that regard is local insurgent groups, which were also active. This was a new generation of Taliban which was not the one which had fought in the Afghan Jihad or which they had never seen Mullah Omar themselves. They were not Kandahar based. These were local insurgents which had their own local grievances and the push and pull of their own tribal context. That also is something which Pakistan or nobody else could, could control. And last but not the least is that uh, this the, the fourth big group that emerged is uh, the one which came back from Guantanamo Bay. Uh, which was also in Doha, Qatar. Uh, Qatar, many people think that Qatar or Doha was just a platform. No, the the Qatari government, and this actually this is a uh, point which which the more research is needed. But what I have heard from folks on the ground, I went to Qatar and I heard at one time uh, that the government of Qatar had made a policy decision to invest in uh, uh, Taliban. And they had at one time started um, recruiting top scholars uh, from the Western countries. They built their own university campuses and they built their own strategic um, thinking groups. And they had thought that how would they compete with Saudi Arabia, UAE, other countries in extending their influence? We know of how Qatar had started. Qatar had old links with Muslim Brotherhood, how Qatar had started investing or supporting some of the groups um, uh, in the in the Israel-Palestine context, um, even with Hamas. So we know of the worldview of Qatar. Qatar's invested in uh, in Taliban by providing them a space, not on behalf of Pakistan or even for US. They were friendly with everyone, but they were making their own investment in Taliban. So this many of the Taliban leaders who were based in Doha, like Mullah Zaif, would never. Foot is, uh, would step his foot in Pakistan again um, uh, for a long time because he was very, very angry. So these are the different components of Afghan Taliban. Pakistan, if Pakistan has been giving the impression uh, that they control all these this different segments and these um, these arms of of Taliban, that was a uh, that was an exaggeration. Not to say that Pakistan has not been supporting Taliban, but the old guard, maybe those, um, the Mullah Baradar, some of the other, the Haqqani group, Pakistan's real investment in the main Taliban leadership was on the Haqqani group. That's why we have seen when the Haqqanis and as a, a Siraj's brother and others went back into the game, that's when Pakistan's influence increased. And that those are the elements which Pakistan brought on the table, trying to help United States to to, to cut a deal with Taliban. So that's why this is a more nuanced thing, a general sweeping statement that Pakistan controls Taliban, um, I, I think is, is an inaccurate. That's why uh, uh, United States wanted them to help specifically on Haqqani. And you'll see, we have not seen a lot of more critique uh, about uh, about Haqqani group for some time because now they are part of the game. They 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 have they have been involved. Why US had to do that? Because uh, nobody else could have done that. Um, the Haqqani group, especially. But the other elements of the Taliban, they are hoping that the Doha group or the new Taliban that that Doha Shura, as I say uh, this in the piece, and I must give the credit also to you, uh, you as an excellent editor had um, given that excellent suggestion. So this Doha Shura um, has its, is also trying to control. They are trying to manage control of the field commanders. And I was recently interviewing a senior um, Afghan political leader 
who had played a very important role historically i can't name him at this time but his um, when i asked him this issue that what i am hearing from people in the field is that there is this effort by the doha group uh, to to keep their control on the military commanders in the field some some local commanders others and this is a constant tussle is that true he said to me not only that this is true but this is also an old phenomena uh, and the peshawar 7 uh, or the nine larger groups during the afghan jihad era he said this tension which all the leaders who used to be in pakistan controlled by the pakistani intelligence the, it was a battle since then that those who were fighting on the ground in the field uh, they would get more funds they at times would get direct funds from intelligence agencies uh, from from other countries so this tension of sorts is an old thing and no one at any time even in case of afghan jihad no one had a complete control that's why we had seen as soon as soviet union had left um, masood and uh, and hikmatyar had bombed uh, kabul the soviets had kept kabul quite relatively safe but the the internal battles and infighting among these jihadi militant groups has been an old phenomena so this this is the layout in this layout um to try to find a common theme a common ground for all the taliban factions is a very tough task and that what kabul will figure out now um that they will not be talking to one taliban um and the toha shura which will negotiate on behalf of the taliban probably probably will be telling ghani and abdullah and others that look we have a constituency as well uh, we have to satisfy we in a in a diplomatic way can give up a few things but we have to satisfy our commanders on the ground as well that's why the, the more stakeholders who are sitting there the better it will be for a final peace settlement so on on this stakeholder note so there i already see two fault lines so you are calling for an international uh sit down with the regional stakeholders and 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 i agree you know that is that is significant but i want to problematize that because i see two immediate fault lines and there are many but i see two immediate ones the one between iran and the united states and the other between india and pakistan so given these two major fault lines how can we expect uh all these international actors these regional players alongside the united states sit down and actually come to you know start talking much less come to an agreement i think you're absolutely right um and that's why i think and i projected in the piece that it can take any time between 3 to 5 years um what had happened in other cases and that's also the best case scenario because there are other challenges as well and i'll say just in one sentence uh, rise of taliban in in kabul or even a great influence of taliban in kabul which will be very very problematic for pakistan because there is no shortage of extremist groups in pakistan uh, who are looking at this opportunity because they'll say look what had afghan taliban done uh, we need a stake in power as well militant groups on one side religious political parties like jamaat e islami jamaat e ulama e islam especially uh, fazlur uh, fazlur rahman they their power will increase and that that's another dynamic but coming to your point on on iran uh, iran is currently 
uh, out of the game. Iran used to be a big supporter of Abdullah Abdullah. Uh, if I'm correct, they have not yet fully uh, con properly congratulated uh, Ghani government. Um, and so they have been more closer to the Northern Alliance, although we had heard that Talib they had tried to penetrate Taliban as well. And we know that um, Mullah Mansoor, uh, when he was killed in a drone strike close to Quetta, the, the former head of the Afghan Taliban, uh, when he was killed, he was actually returning from Tehran because he was there to keep his family in Iran. This was head of the Afghan Taliban uh, who was killed in a drone strike. One of the reasons people think that Pakistani intelligence probably gave the tip and, or the Pakistanis um, never reacted negatively to the killing of Mullah Mansoorullah the way it was expected. The reason was that uh, they themselves were very critical of him, that why he was going to Iran quite often. So, uh, so Iran has invested on both sides, in Northern Alliance, uh, as well as in Taliban. India is very, very concerned. And one understands um, Indian concerns uh, because the last time Taliban were in power, some of the militant groups focused on, on Kashmir uh, from the Pakistan side uh, were running training camps in Afghanistan. And there's this, this concern, uh, what if, uh, again, situation will lead to that in the, in the South. So that's why um, the India-Pakistan rivalry is very, very central. It's an old issue. Um, I'm reminded of an old piece by Barney Rubin and Ahmed Rashid in Foreign Affairs, I think in close to 2002 or three, um, or around that time, or right before that, if I'm correct. Um, and they were saying, using the word grand bargain, I think they were absolutely right. Um, and we, we, again, now, after going through the whole cycle, we need some kind of a grand bargain that the regional players uh, and there can be one common agenda. Afghanistan will not be used against anybody else by Iran against Pakistan or by Pakistan against India or by India against Pakistan. So these three countries will have to uh, be on, one, on the same page and they are not close to being on the same page. Um, so that will require an international effort. Otherwise, um, Afghanistan will 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 continue to be um, a center of chaos and hub. I'm reminded of a great poet uh, from South Asia, Iqbal, who had who had rightly said that Afghanistan is the heart of Asia. If if the the, the this heart or Asia uh, of Asia is 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 unwell or, or, or uh, not functioning, um, then you will see problems in the region in India, Iran, Pakistan to continue to 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 simmer. So uh, coming back to the U.S. and Iran, given the, you know, this the heightened tensions, especially after the killing of the Quds Force uh, commander, General Qasem Soleimani, and, uh, you know, with the tensions rising and U.S. policy of maximum pressure, how do you see that interfering with this regional compact or understanding that you're calling for in order for you know, the, the U.S. Taliban deal to move forward? I think for that, probably India will have to play a bigger role because of the, the port in Iran also where India has invested. Um, and we had seen uh, that when U.S. sanctions against Iran had gone um, active, still there was an initially a waiver that was given on that count. So United States-India relationship here is, is one of the strongest relationships in, in this region. Um, and 
we need to benefit from that relationship in a sense that uh, it will have to be India, which will have to talk to, because India and Iran together were kind of more supportive of the Northern Alliance, if I may call that, or Abdullah, Abdullah, and some of the non-Pashtun uh, groups or elements. So India will have to talk to them. Pakistan-Iran relations have not been very good um, in recent years. Uh, there's, there's, there was this constant struggle, the geopolitics, as you understand uh, very well as an um, uh, expert in that region, uh, the whole oil pipeline issue between Iran, Pakistan, and India went nowhere. But and Pakistan's are trying to be, if not neutral, it tried to be a balancing factor between Saudi Arabia and Iran also played a role. So India is enough. Historically, Pakistan-Iran relations were, were excellent. Today, India is in a better position. And we know that um, in recent months, um, those relationships uh, got a little, went through a trial uh, when um, Ayatollah Khamenei, the, the supreme leader of um, uh, uh, Ayatollah Khamenei, the supreme leader of Iran, um, gave a very critical statement about Indian policy uh, towards Kashmir. And Pakistanis were jubilant at it, um, and Indians are very unhappy, uh, like they are unhappy with Malaysia for, for taking the position which is closer to, to Pakistan's position. So I, I don't know how far, uh, how much damaging that has been for India uh, in Iran relations, but at the same time, their financial investments, their bilateral trade, and their uh, collaboration in 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 uh, uh, the, the the major port they are working together that that stays that that is intact uh, but india will have to play a bigger role in that regard bringing uh, iran on the table or at least in, ensuring that uh, iran will not um, be a spoiler in this whole context so if the us leans on india to manage the iranian component of this regional uh, understanding then that obviously upsets, you know, the Pakistani calculus. And so we're going to go back and forth on that. But I want to move to the other two players that you mentioned in the piece, Russia, which has huge interest and a long history of involvement in Afghanistan. And of course, continued involvement because the three Central Asian states that border Afghanistan are of strategic importance uh, to the Kremlin. And then, of course, in recent years, we know uh, it's now clear that Moscow also developed very close relations, if we can call them that, with the Taliban. And then, of course, the Chinese relationship, which has a Pakistani angle, which has a direct angle. And of course, the Chinese have their own relationship with the Taliban. So how do you see that side of this equation? Another very important thing, and from, from a U.S. security perspective, um, the, how Russia and China will react is, is, is an extremely important factor. Russia, I think, as they had shown, um, if you remember, uh, before the peace settlement uh, led by Zalmi Khalilzad was finalized, Russia had organized an event. In fact, that had put a lot of pressure on Zalmi Khalilzad and others because the Iranian representatives were there as well. Um, and uh, there was a broader representation of Afghan leadership in that meeting in Moscow than, than happening in Doha. But, but that had a positive impact in a sense that that allowed Zalmi Khalilzad to make this point both to Doha and to Kabul that, look, um, Russia is not the one which is stabilizing Afghanistan, how much investment they're making. It is the U.S. money which is helping Kabul to run. Af Afghanistan today, without U.S. financial and security support, would not uh, be able to function for a single day. I mean, that's a fact. So 
as much as Russia has interests and the way that they are talking to everyone, especially to, to maybe Dostum and some of the others, Turkey's of course talking to Dostum as well. Whenever there was a problem, Dostum would still run to, to stay in Turkey. So Turkey, I forgot to, to mention, is also a player in that sense. But but Russia, Russia's limitation is Russia is strategically smart. They, they, they were talking to everyone, but in terms of financial investment they lag behind everyone else so russia will have to be involved in a in a sense that kabul will have to probably talk to them or the northern alliance uh, which has slightly better relationship of uh, for working relationship with them again keeping russia out will will be in nobody's interest on china china we had seen they had invested in as we know, uh, in in the mineral development, in they want they they had won a big contract in Afghanistan, but when it became a challenging situation in terms of security crisis, they basically ran away. Also, they started investing a little bit in training of police in Afghanistan, but that was was a pilot project. So the Chinese investment, China has been more on the sidelines watching. And I remember a, a talk given by a Chinese diplomat um, some time ago. Who was, who was emphasizing that China will really join in any larger conversation only if that is done under the umbrella of United Nations. And that is something which, which I think will not be acceptable to, to United States. United States being a biggest um, financial supporter of Kabul uh, will have to take lead in this. Um, yes, United Nations is important because of um, their work with the refugees, so many other major uh, projects that they are running in Afghanistan. But frankly, United Nations has not proved it to be a good leader in, in these kind of arrangements. Um, I, I, I say it with some reluctance, but, but UN still um, is is not seen uh, as an organization which can lead this kind of bridge building, although they, by definition, they should be. But in this case, with U.S. forces on the ground and with U.S. security interests, UN should be involved, but U.S. will have to lead. And China and Russia, as much as they are challenged by uh, by 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 the geopolitics, um, they would not like to be cut off uh, from from any comprehensive arrangement in that area. In fact, they will be beneficiary if, if U.S. is able to cut a deal and if Kabul and the U.S. can push Kabul. I mean, U.S. will not only have to work with India uh, to, to at least ensure that, China, that Iranian uh, influence is not negative, but also to convince like uh, what we had seen recently to, to work with uh, the power players in Kabul as well, Abdullah Abdullah and President Ashraf Ghani, they know well that how much dependent they are on, on, on U.S. support. So it will have to be, I think, the U.S. leadership will be very important in this whole game. Wow, that's uh, quite uh, a complicated picture that you have uh, basically painted. And, and, you know, unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time for this segment. You know, you and I can continue forever on this and will there'll be f more opportunities in the future because this thing is going to pick up you've basically given us a lot to watch for because the next phase of this dynamic as you rightly pointed out is going to be the behavior watching the behavior of all these stakeholders in afghanistan how they're going to deal with one another 
will you know how can they collaborate while they're still competing so you've given us a lot of food for thought and i really thank you for that ladies and gentlemen that was hasan abbas from the near east and south asia center for strategic studies at the national defense university you have been listening to another episode of the center for global policies podcast series called the lodestar which was recorded and produced in collaboration with NISA at the National Defense University. This is Kamran Bukhari signing off for now. Take care in this age of Corona.